From the Heidelberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 25. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation. Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the New Covenant? Two, Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you have faith? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This question, your answer to it, is critically important. It's a life and death question. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In the past Lord's Days, we've seen that we are justified, that we are made right with God through faith. And so that raises a natural question. If we can only share in Christ and all his benefits by faith, where does this faith come from? Faith is essential for my salvation. So how do I get it? Our Lord's Day answers this question. It tells us about the origin of our faith. It encourages us to seek the means of grace that God has established to work faith in us and to strengthen our faith. This afternoon we'll consider how God works faith in the hearts of his people through his word and how he strengthens his faith by signs. We'll do that by focusing our attention on the story of how Elijah went to stay with a widow in Zarephath. We'll also consider how the Lord Jesus made reference to this story when he began his public ministry in Nazareth. We'll consider the responses of those people to the preaching of the word. We'll be challenged about our own response to the gospel message. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Faith is not our work, but God's mighty work of grace in us. We'll see how the Spirit works faith through the word and how the Spirit strengthens faith through signs. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord during the wicked reign of King Ahab. He had married Jezebel, the daughter of a Sidonian king. He did so to secure a treaty between Israel and Sidon. Both Israel and Sidon feared the threat of the Assyrians. By making a treaty, 
Ahab showed his lack of faith and trust in the Lord, Israel's God. Through their alliance with a heathen nation, God's people were conformed to the ways of the world. Jezebel's influence is seen in the establishment of Baal worship in Israel. The reason the people worshipped the Baals was because they believed that these gods could provide them with prosperity. It was a comfort to worship a god that was tangible, that they could see. With Baal, the people were required to offer sacrifices, but for the rest, they could live as they pleased. This was different in the service of the Lord. God required more than just burnt offerings and sacrifices. He wanted his people to believe in him, to trust him, to show this by living according to his commands. The Lord required that justice prevail in the land, that mercy be shown to those in need, that his people love him with their whole heart. Because his people had strayed from his ways, the Lord raised up Elijah to serve as his prophet. Elijah went to King Ahab, proclaiming the word of the Lord. He said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. This was a covenantal curse on Israel's idol worship. No more rain until Elijah again speaks the word of the Lord. Perhaps at first King Ahab and his court scoffed at the words of this strange man who came to see him. But when the spring and the fall rains did not come, Ahab sent out people throughout the nations and kingdoms of the earth looking for Elijah. Yet the Lord hid his servant away. For a time Elijah went to live by the brook Cherith. The ravens fed him each morning and each night, And he had water to drink from the brook. When the brook dried up, the Lord sent him to go and live with a widow in Zarephath. That was in the country of Sidon, where Jezebel was from. Why did God command Elijah to leave Israel? To go dwell in a heathen land? Some say it was to escape from Ahab. But the Lord could have continued to provide Elijah with water from the rock and allowed him to remain by the brook Cherith. Some suggest it was to work out his decree of election in calling the widow to faith. But there's more going on in this passage. There's a specific reason why the Lord commanded Elijah to go to Zarephath and dwell there. In order to understand the reason, we need to remember who Elijah was and what he represented Elijah was a prophet of the Lord. He represented the word of God. He had told King Ahab that neither dew nor rain would fall except at his word. God's people didn't repent when they came under the Lord's chastisement. And so the Lord takes the deliberate step of removing his word from Israel The Lord does not send Elijah to live with a widow in Israel. No, he sends him to a widow in the country of Sidon. When Elijah arrived at the town gate, the widow was there gathering sticks. Elijah asked her for a drink of water. That was a reasonable request. 
When a stranger arrives after a long journey on dusty roads, it's polite to give him a drink. As the widow was going to get Elijah water, he asked, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. This was not quite so reasonable a request. Remember, there was a famine going on. A widow did not have a wage earner in her home. She would have been one of the hardest hit by the famine. The widow responds by stating she had no bread left over. All she has left is a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. She was gathering sticks to break bread one final time for her and her son. After that, they had nothing left, and they would die. Elijah does not take back his request. He tells her not to be afraid. He commands her to go home and bake bread for him first. He promises her in the name of the Lord that if she does so, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. We should not think of Elijah as a greedy man who wanted to take the last meal from a widow and her son. This was a test of faith. Give up everything for the Lord, the God of Israel first, and then he will provide you with all you need. Brothers and sisters, look at the faith of this woman. She believed Elijah's words, the word of the Lord. She obeyed his command, a command spoken on behalf of God. All that while she was a heathen woman living in the heart of Baal territory. We should not look to this woman to see where her faith came from. Instead, we need to look at the power of God's word. It is the power to penetrate deep into the hearts of all those whom the Lord calls to him. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word penetrated the heart of this Gentile woman. Although he required her to give all she had, she willingly gave all to him. She did not fear, but she took the word of God to heart and did as the Lord commanded. The Lord blessed her richly, providing food throughout the rest of the famine. So why is this account recorded in 1 Kings? Who were 1 and 2 Kings written to? They were written to the exiles in Babylonian captivity. For them, the message should be very clear. They, God's people, had refused to trust in the Lord alone. They had turned away to worship the Baals. No wonder why the Lord had sent them as covenant people into exile. Did God no longer love them? Had the Lord abandoned his covenant? No. The Lord was faithful to his people. He kept his promises. When Israel was obedient, when they kept faith with the Lord, they were richly blessed. 
But when they broke covenant, when they disregarded the word of the Lord, when they conformed to the ways of the world, God disciplined them. He brought famine upon them. He allowed their enemies to attack them. Eventually, the Lord allowed the Babylonians to capture Jerusalem, to destroy the city and the temple, to take them as captives into a foreign land. The Lord Jesus referred to Elijah's stay with the widow of Zarephath in Luke 4. He did so in the synagogue of Nazareth, the place where he grew up. He quoted from Isaiah showing how the Spirit of God had come upon him, how he was appointed by God to redeem his people. But the response of his people was, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, they refused to believe in him despite the gracious words he spoke. When he pointed out that the rejection of the word of the Lord had resulted in Elijah going to stay with a widow in Zidon, they were furious and they sought to kill him. Beloved, the question our text raises is, where do you put your faith and trust? In yourself? Your money? Your strength? Your smarts? Or in the Lord? Do you trust completely in the Lord? Or do you serve God with part of your life while In the rest of it, you're busy pleasing yourself. There's a danger for us that we split life up. That our worship of God becomes just one aspect of our life. In the midst of work and family and leisure time. That we divide life into all kinds of little compartments. See, it doesn't help to sing praises to God on Sunday if you go ahead in business life and rip someone off during the following week. Your worship of God is compromised if during the week you conform to the ways of the world. If you lie or cheat or steal, if you go out partying, get drunk on Friday night, if you engage in illicit sex, conformity with the world is enmity with God. If I ask you, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? you will undoubtedly say, yes. But if Jesus is your Savior, you need to expect all good from him alone. That requires you to trust that his way is best for your life. If Jesus is your Lord, then you need to submit to his commands. Not just to be a hearer, but also a doer of the word. Living faith shows itself in the fruits of faith. But where does this faith come from? Well, faith is not our work. It's God's mighty work of grace in us. The Bible makes it plain that faith is a gift of grace. Paul went out preaching the gospel in many places, but he could not bring anyone to faith. Acts 16 verse 14 tells us of Lydia's conversion. It says, 
the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. We see, beloved, that faith is a gift worked in us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible makes it clear. In John 3, Jesus taught Nicodemus that no one could be born again without the powerful working of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 teaches that no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 4, 13, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Faith. It's through the Spirit's mighty work in us that we come to believe in Jesus Christ. Yet the Spirit does not work without the means of without the use of means. He works faith in the hearts of God's people through the word. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Just as the widow of Zarephath came to faith by believing the word of the Lord, so also today the spirit works faith in us through the gospel. Each Sunday, beloved, we hear the gospel proclaimed to us. During the week, we have opportunity to read and study the word of God. And every time the word is opened, the spirit has opportunity to work. Through the word, the spirit convicts us of our sins. He calls us to put our faith and trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He guides and directs us in how to live lives pleasing to God. Do you sometimes have questions about whether or not you have faith? Do you sometimes wonder if you are a child of God? Are you sometimes doubtful about whether your faith is real? Pray to God for his grace and spirit in your life. And then give the Holy Spirit food to work with in your soul. Attend the worship services. Listen diligently to the preaching of the gospel. This is the workshop of the Holy Spirit. Immerse yourself in the study of God's word. Read about all the promises God has made to you. If there is sin in your life, repent of it so that your communion with God is not blocked. Put your trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Believe that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he rose to grant you new life. It's through the gospel that the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. It's through the testimony of the scriptures that he assures us that we are children of God. In our first point, we considered how the Spirit works faith through the word. In our second point, we'll see how the Spirit strengthens faith through signs. We come back to the story about Elijah staying with the widow in Zarephath. 1 Kings 17 relates how the widow's son became sick and died. What a blow this must have been, both to the widow and to Elijah. The only reason that they were alive during the famine is because of the Lord's 
wonderful provision. He granted a bin of flour that was not used up and a jar of oil that did not run empty. So why does the Lord now cause the widow's son to die? The widow thinks that this is because of her sin. She understood that the Lord was chastising Israel with famine because of their unfaithfulness. She says to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Elijah has no answer for this woman. He too asked why this is happening. He cried out to the Lord, saying, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Often, beloved, it's in times of sickness, sorrow, tragedy, or distress that we too ask our why questions. It's the brokenness of this life that can make us really struggle with who the Lord is. Adversity can be a real challenge to our faith. Does God truly love me? If so, why is this happening in my life? Is God really Lord and King of all the earth? If so, why doesn't he do something to help me in the midst of my distress? All the same questions God's people asked from the midst of captivity in Babylon. The Lord knows our faith is often weak. He is sensitive to our questioning hearts. He wants to assure us of his grace and mercy. Many times throughout the history of his people, he gave them signs as tokens of his grace. Elijah was distressed over the death of the widow's son. He stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. We see that Elijah prayed for something that never happened in human history, that the Lord would raise the widow's son from the dead. Elijah sees this as the only way that the widow's questions could be answered. She has concluded that God has caused the boy to die because of some sin in her life. When she entrusted herself to the Lord's care, her faith, while she had entrusted herself to the Lord's care, her faith was not yet very strong. The death of her son threatened to undermine God's promises. 1 Kings 17 tells us that the Lord heard Elijah's cry, that the boy's life returned to him, that he lived. What an amazing miracle. What a wondrous sign. Why did the Lord cause the widow's son to die? So that he could restore him to life again and thereby strengthen this widow's faith. Elijah gave the boy back to his mother and said, See, your son lives. Please note the widow's response. She said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The widow already knew this. She already believed it. Her actions of baking a loaf of bread to feed Elijah proved it. But through this sign, the Lord graciously confirmed this widow in her faith. 
He showed her he is the God of life, that he provides abundantly for all who trust in him. In addition to his spoken word, the Lord has also given us signs to confirm his grace to us. The sacraments are wholly visible signs and seals. They were instituted by Christ so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. When we listen to the preaching, we hear God speaking to us. But beloved, we're not always very good listeners. God knows our weaknesses. And so we gave the sacraments to appeal to our other senses. We see water poured on a baby's head and bread broken at the Lord's table. We're even allowed to taste the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. And thus through the sacraments, the Lord appeals to our other senses, not just to our sense of hearing, but also to our sense of sight and even our sense of taste. You know why? The Belgian Confession summarizes the reason beautifully in Article 33. It says that God has ordained the sacraments because he is mindful of our sensitivity and weakness. He has added the sacraments to the word to better represent to our external senses both what he declares in his word and what he does inwardly in our hearts. God knows that our faith is often weak, that we so easily doubt. And so he's given us the sacraments to nourish and to strengthen our faith. How do the sacraments nourish and strengthen our faith? Well, they sign and seal God's promises to us in a visible way. A sign is a picture that helps us to understand a spiritual truth. You know the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, in the sacraments, we have pictures of God's grace to us. Water is symbolic of washing. And so baptism is a picture of how God promises to wash away our sins through Christ's blood. Bread is a symbol of life and wine a symbol of joy. And so the Lord's Supper pictures the abundant life, the fullness of joy God grants us in Christ. By witnessing or partaking in the sacraments, God assures us of his steadfast love and of his faithfulness to us. What's your response, beloved, to the promises of the gospel? To the good news that Jesus Christ came to grant us forgiveness for all our sins and life with God forevermore? Do you believe that? Are you living out of the promises of God? Does it show in your life? Do you believe God's promises also when confronted with adversity, with sorrow in your life? Are you willing to submit yourself to the direction of God's word, even when that goes against what your sinful nature wants you to do? Faith is being sure of what we hope for 
and certain of what we do not see. To have faith in Christ means that you have confidence in him, trust him, believe in him, that you're willing to rely on him. Our faith is based on the word of God. It's not based on your feelings or on what other people think, but on what God has told you in his word. And what is the message of God's word? It's the good news of salvation, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved, it's by looking to Jesus Christ and the mighty deeds that he has done for us that we are saved. That's why the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, to taste and see that the Lord is good, You need to partake in the worship of God. For it's by hearing the preaching of the gospel and by using the sacraments that the Holy Spirit works and strengthens our faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing Psalm 34. Stances three and seven.